Uh, remember Afghan interpreters? Oh boy, those are the days. <laughs> we I forget the name of our interpreters, but I have a kind of a funny little story. So I made a gallery on Facebook when we got back called Trashganistan. <laughs> not proud. <laughs> Not proud trash of Afghanistan. No, trash Afghanistan. No. That was just like the popular thing to say at the time. And then, like out of nowhere, years later, one of our interpreters, who was on my Facebook that I forgot about, saw the gallery, and he's like, "Mache, why you call it trash Afghanistan?" And I was so, <laughs> so ashamed. I'm like, I didn't even argue. I wasn't defensive. I just said, "You're right." And I changed it immediately. I used to have tea with the with the Afghan uh, Afghan uh, National Army guys that we were uh, with in the in the combat outpost. And this one guy I can remember chatting with, and uh, we're talking about religion. And at the time, I was an atheist. And the guy's like, "But uh, Sharafuddin, it's like the nickname that they gave me. If if there is no God, who is strong enough to hold up the sky?" I'm like, yo, man, you got me. <laughs> Checkmate. Yeah, our, uh, mine and Matches interpreters, uh, well, one of the many ways we armed him with an AK on our patrols. Oh, Pretty yeah, badass. That's right. It was Mumtaz and Iqbal. Mumtaz right. and Iqbal. Yeah. That's a great name. Hey, I'm Mache. And I'm Matt. And this is episode four of Veteran X. This week on Veteran X, we're interviewing an old buddy of mine, Andre. He's been traveling the world, having a bunch of interesting experiences, but uh, we're going to focus on his time in the army and his experiences overseas and how that's shaped him in his life. Yo, Andre, how long have you been out for? Uh, since 2000. 13 on paper since like like effectively since like 2011 2012 but the release took about a year yeah i hear you i had the same kind of thing how did it feel like knowing that you were going to be leaving the military at the time i couldn't wait to get out um my values had really changed after getting back from afghanistan and i uh i, I began to see the military as pointless and my involvement in it as being like complicit in the war machine how was uh how was your first year on Civvy Street? Uh well I mean I was still technically in back in 2012 although that was the year I got out and so that was 2012 was a really rough year for me. Um but I was working in a Civvy job I hated. Um I was in the middle of a CT to go to the Air Force which I didn't really want to do but I had put my transfer in so I was like waiting on it and I I wanted to be somebody who followed through on the things he said he would do. Right. I remember one day I had one day I had a bit of a panic attack at my civilian job because I realized that I fucking hated it. But my, my way out was signing up nine years to go away to the air force. And I was just like, it was like the only, my only way out was a worse way. And it just, it kind of dawned on me how fucked my life had become. Wow. I, I had no idea. I did not know that you were planning on doing that. Um, what about family and relationships? Uh, we're, I think, did you ever think about going back to school or am I misremembering something? 
I actually finished when I got back from Afghanistan. I finished my bachelor, and right. then I actually I got into a master's program at RMC of all places. I wow. deferred for a year, then I dropped out. Um, I am looking back to go back to school now. Uh, once I get my my European citizenship, I live in Berlin now, so I'm going to probably go back to school there. Cool, and yeah. uh, your uh, your relationships at the time were yeah. were they significantly different from before going overseas or pretty much the same chugging along um i guess it's hard to say i'm a i'm a bit of an idealistic um guy in a, in a relationship i tend to i think most men are fairly idealistic when they come into relationships as contrasted to women who i find are a little bit more pragmatic in their relationships right um but i've always been drawn to women i suppose who can see the best in me and i have a very for whatever reason, I have got this uh, irrational love of myself. And so whenever a woman doesn't love me as well as I love myself, I'm always like, what's wrong with you? Don't you know who the fuck I am? <laughs> but, um, yeah. And, and the thing is, is though, I, 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 tend, I got into dating patterns I found where I would only, I would settle for women who... I shouldn't say settle because that's a very negative connotation, but I would go for women who idolize me in some way and put me up on some pedestal in some way. And that doesn't really help you grow at all. So, Huh. That's that's interesting. I still like those kinds of women, to be honest. Uh, not oh, yeah. Even, not even for joking. Sure. Uh, but uh, I think I actually get so little uh, idolization, or I, I'm an idol to so few people that I, I need that shot in the arm once in a while. Um, what about, uh, drinking drugs? Were you ever into both? Did those habits change at all? Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about, uh, especially lately, I've been thinking a lot about my, uh, uh, shortcomings, addictions, sensitivities. I feel like, um, I'm really shocked and embarrassed to say how much of a, a waste of my life, uh, social media has been. Right. I spent a lot of time on there. And then when I was I was working in entertainment for a few years, I still am, I guess. You're never really out, but I was like working full time at that. And you know, you can justify it by, you know, self promotion. But the reality is you're spending so much of your life, you know, in a daze. Um I spent a lot of time in solitude, a lot of it self imposed, backpacking, uh just living by myself, which is good, but the problem is, is you need feedback in life. You can't just isolate yourself completely because it starts to drive you a little crazy and your standards become, without any external feedback, you become very decoupled from from the rules that govern society, right? And it can make, I mean, on the one hand, absence makes a heart grow fonder. So you can have a genuine love for people fostered by being away from them. But on the other hand, you know, when you're not talking to other people and you're, it, it never got to the point where it was like a really dark place from the isolation, but I just would, I'm very self-sufficient. So I'd just as soon spend, you know, Saturday night by myself, just chilling out. I think a lot of guys feel that way, you know, like, I think that like they justify it a, a lot of the times if they're going through something, especially with them, with mental health problems and, you know, they just think, well, I'm a lone wolf anyway. I've always been that way, you know? And I, I find, find that, like, yeah. you could, that, can, that can become something. I find guys who join the army, I mean, I'm not saying that all of them are like that, but I think there's a higher incidence of those guys who were quiet or, you know, less social in high school or yeah. university and they join the military. Mm. I'm not sure what it is about the military that draws them. I, I know that, you know, 
the glory of the armed forces at, at least partially drew me <laughs> as ridiculous as that is but uh yeah it's kind of like moths to a flame yeah yeah no yeah i see that and it's actually mad it's interesting what you said about this lone wolf idea because i think um i'm somebody who i always try to base my life on people i admired whether real people or fictional yeah and um these stories we we create in our heads and tell about people there's always a cultivating um sorry a compelling story you can tell to justify your existence um you know you can see yourself as a tragic hero if you're in a bad way and that adds in elements of romance and it's easier sometimes to indulge in the romance of your plight than it is to pull yourself up out of your miasma and I, i've certainly done that where i've i've wallowed in my more baser inclinations because i felt there was some sort of honor and uh, romance to it and Whatever, you, you, you know, you, you got to spend a lot of time being stupid before you can start to be smart, I guess. Yeah. So, Andre, we never really talked about this explicitly, but do you feel like you've been dealing with any mental health issues post-deployment? Um, the Army was there for me uh, when I turned 18, and I come from a broken home and it's kind of like doubly so actually um i guess if i had to trace everything back it begins with when my parents got divorced when i was like two i grew up with it with and i you know my mom remarried my stepdad and my, my dad remarried my stepmom in short order afterwards so i always lived in essentially a complete if mixed household and i visit my dad on weekends but that initial sort of um schism which always went unexamined for most of my life because i took it for granted that was just how i always grew up I really see that the impact it's had and the and the um, and the rever reverberations that have been sent throughout my life. Thinking back on it a lot now because I'm looking to become a father, and I don't ever want my kid to go through that broken home because I, I miss my dad my whole life. And my mom had her shortcomings, limitations, and she was removed from the house when we were younger. She we, she was arrested because she was very abusive. Mm -hmm. And then I went to go live with my dad and my stepmom, and my stepmom wasn't a fan of that because she had two kids by that point with my dad, and we fought a lot, and it was just tough because I felt like I'd been, insofar as family is this idea of like this paradise, I felt I'd been cast out like that, you know, and uh, the army was there when I just felt completely dejected. I always had relatives who loved me and always had a place I could go, but the things... But it wasn't what I wanted. What I wanted most was to be with my dad and having... It was either my mom or my stepmom interfering with that. So, and then when I got out of the military, it was like, okay, the only family I'd known since I'd become a man, it took me a while to realize, but that was like leaving another family too. And that was definitely hard. So let's, uh, let's talk about deploying. Um, what sure. years, uh, and Rotos were you on? I was on Roto 6, Kandahar. So September 08 to, uh, April 09. And what were you doing? I was a driver, driver gunner for Simic. Um, so I'd drive RG31s and or be the gunner in them on the remote. And then I would do dismounted patrols as well. Most of the patrols I did were either presence patrols or uh, escort. Where'd you spend most of your time? I spent about half of my tour with Chop, uh, with Masha in um, Hutal and Fab Hutal and Maywand. I spent half my tour at Camp Nathan Smith. And then there was also about a three week stint uh, where I was out. I forget where. I think it was north of Kandahar City. Um, I was out with the British Royal Marines, actually, on this three-week-long patrol, which was we were living in the desert. It was pretty cool, actually. 
I don't remember the exact geography of where it was. When did you kind of first realize that maybe some of your experiences, you know, may have like caused you some distress? Um, I don't know if anything, it's, it's hard to say if things in Afghanistan caused me distress. I mean, the most, when I think back now, the most distressing things about Afghanistan was the headaches I suffered maintaining relationships back home, you know, yeah. um, arguing with my girlfriend at the time. Um, as I was, Afghanistan was harder for me in the sense of like the apprehension of the year of training about to go over. Cause I was scared. I didn't know what was going on. I was fucking terrified. I didn't really believe in the cause, but you know, I, I saw all kinds of problems and flaws with it, but I had said I was going to do it and something youthful and bold in me said, well, you said you're going to do this. So keep on doing it. Yeah. And so that year I really struggled the year of training. I struggled a lot. I drank a lot, fought with my girlfriend a lot. I put on a lot of weight. And then when I went over to Afghanistan, things didn't get better right away. But at the same time, too, I was I was happy to go because I knew that a lot of the shit I was dealing with in my life, I could just be away from it. You know, whether it was car problems, fighting with my girlfriend, whatever. And yeah, I was, you know, the devil you know versus the devil you don't. I didn't know what I was heading into. But at the same time, too, after about a week or two, I began to find a sense of um, routine in the day. Yeah, a bomb could drop on you anytime, but you learn to live with it. And after you came back, did did you struggle with anything? Not necessarily related to that experience, but just uh, over the past, you know, nine years, um, is there anything that you've either had to deal with or that didn't sit right, made you uncomfortable? That first summer I got back, yeah, I was I was drinking a lot. I mean, I still do drink more than I'd like. And that's the thing is I'm... I'm not a problem drinker in the sense of like missing work or nothing like that, but it's just like, I don't, I like drinking. I don't like how much I like it, you know? Yeah. And so, but it's hard, it's hard to find like a balance. I either, I either cut it out of my life completely, but then I feel like, okay, I'm in a social situation now. I got to have one. And then all of a sudden it's just like, Hey, you know, a few weeks later, it's like, oh, I'm having, I'm, I'm having a drink every day. It's just, I don't feel like it's the healthiest thing. I worry that it's holding me back. I worry that I'm at a plateau and the longer I stay at this plateau, which alcohol keeps me from transcending the lower my chances of ultimately transcending it. I feel like I'm not going to flower into the the man I have to become if I keep indulging in these childish behaviors. How did uh, your experiences in Afghanistan uh, affect, uh, you know, your sleep? I don't think it really did. I remember no. my first, or, my first or second night back, I heard something in the middle of the night. I was in my grandma's house, and I'm like, "What was that?" And I'm like, "Oh, wait a minute. It doesn't matter what that was." <laughs> I went back to sleep. How did your experience in the army uh, change who you are as a person? Who who are you now versus then? I know that you said uh, it's like you gained a family and then lost a family again. But yeah, in terms of maybe changing trajectory, changing what you know about yourself, maybe we can explore that. When I got out of the military, it was at a point where I guess I needed to get out and. I almost feel now like I need to get back in, not to the military, but to something, some ordering structure or institution. Right now, like I'm a freelance worker and I, you know, I do, I, I work with kids at a summer camp as well, which is great too. But, you know, my schedule is either, okay, you're, you're on this camp for four or five days, kind of like an exercise when I was in the military, or you wake up and work whenever you feel like. And so it's two extremes, which I like, but at the same time too, I may not be doing myself any favors either because as far as a daily schedule, there's nothing regular that I can start to work with. And sometimes, sometimes limitations are good because they allow you to build a structure around those limitations. Right. I've 
I've cultivated a very free life in the sense of like, there's no real limiters for me. I don't really, anything I want, I can have right now. And my wants are few, but I can have whatever I want. But it hasn't brought me the happiness I hoped it would. Right. And I, I want to take on more responsibility in life. And that's going to be hard because I've been the last several years getting rid of responsibilities because I had to, it's almost like performing some sort of sort of medical procedure on my soul where it's just, there was a lot of relationships and things I had, which have not really been serving me. And I had to almost get rid of everything and begin to reincorporate the things that I want now. And I know what I want and I can do it. It's just, it's hard because now it's like, okay, I have to submit. I have to get back under the yoke again and I have to be in service of something. It's something of my choosing, but it's still in service of something. I want to clarify, because to me, from the outside at least, you seem like a really disciplined guy in a lot of aspects of your life. So when you talk about structure, when you talk about some kind of order that you seem to be craving, at least by mm -hmm. my understanding of what you just said. And a lot of us do. Right. Um, where where does that need come from unless i'm completely wrong about your self discipline i mean i have i have more self discipline than a lot of people i suppose yeah i would uh, say but so but not not as much as i i know i can personally achieve right and that's i mean to me that that's the benchmark there um you you asked me about uh drinking and drugs earlier um yeah, drinking has kind of been a constant throughout my adult life. I mean, going to university, going through the military, that was almost unavoidable. Uh, over the last year and a bit, has been um, smoking more tobacco, um, you know, and I don't love that. Uh, over the past few years, marijuana uh, quite a bit, and that's actually precipitated a lot of good growth. And it's, I think it's something that I'll always kind of keep in my life, but not chronically like I've been, like I had been doing it over the past uh, couple years because it may lend some perspective much needed perspective at times it help you keep your your course in life true which i find helps me do but too much of it and you get it's like it's you you lose all motivation to do anything right and i mean if you want to pursue that life in earnest like psychedelics and marijuana and just go you know full-on you know guru shaman hippie that's cool <laughs> you know god bless i thought that was what i wanted to do for a while but I don't think that's actually what I want to do. And so I have to limit my consumption of that. Doug Stanhope, I think it was, had some bit about like, or no, it might have been Bill Hicks. And even somebody made some joke that to the effect of like, it's not like it makes you lazy. It just makes you realize that most shit you have to do is not worth fucking doing. <laughs> that's, that's, I mean, it's, it's true in an extent, right? Like I had trouble holding down a, a schedule when I was living on a Caribbean island, a very simple schedule. Not, not trouble, but it was just like I had to really try to make it to work at 5 p.m. every day and work in a bar for four hours. And, you know, everything I do would just take longer and longer. So you end up eliminating things from your schedule that are superfluous. But I think, you know, and it makes you prioritize the, the important things, which is great. But you have to balance prioritizing the important things with prioritizing many things and doing many things. So you can't just do the three most important things in your life and that's it. You have to also do the trivial things because they help people. They build relationships. They they flesh you out as a human being. They make you diverse and vital. And so at various times in your life, you may need marijuana more than other times. And I, I'm at a point now where I don't need it as much. I know the things that are important to me. Now it's about how do I optimize and make it more efficient, how I incorporate those things and the trivial bullshit into my life as well. You know? What, uh, what motivates you to succeed, Andre? 
for a long time I, I thought I wanted to be famous and maybe some of that still lingers. Um, I want, want to be loved. I want to feel validation, but the more I get that and the more I've gotten that, like it's hollow, it's empty. Right. And the greatest joy to me really is knowing, um, like just enjoying, like when I look at the bit, the best things I've ever done, like as far as like creative output, uh, things I've written or things I've uh, acted in when I was making films, I don't care if nobody sees them or reads them because I can go back and look at them and view them, and I can see I can see myself shining at my highest potential, and to me that's that's very satisfying. Um, right now, I haven't been as um, I mean, I shouldn't say I haven't been as creative lately. I've been, I still, I teach workshops in jewelry making and, um, I, I complain, I'm teaching myself guitar and stuff like that. So I do have creative outlets, but I'm not, I'm taking satisfaction and enjoyment in those processes without the recognition. I'm less on Instagram more, uh, these days. I'm not, I'm not trying to promote myself as much and stuff because I realize the addictive potential of it. If I have a very specific goal to undertake, then I will like if, if but for, I try and, I'm trying to. It's a, sometimes it feels like a losing struggle. I'm trying to limit my time online. Uh, are you are you a member of the Legion? Um, not right now. I'm I'm not against it by any means. I just uh, I haven't really been in Canada much, and I just haven't. I've kind of let details of like memberships and stuff just sort of slide. So you've thought about it. Oh yeah, for sure. And one day, should I ever find myself back in Canada or even abroad, when it occurs to me and I have the time and the inclination to do so, I'll join. Right. Yeah. Uh, that's it for this week on Veteran X. Be sure to check us out online on veteranx.ca or on Facebook at Veteran X. 